0: I'm Chris Reback. And I'm Tegan Goddard. You're listening to the free version of Trial Balloon.
1: Visit TrialBalloon.fm to get new episodes every week
0: and more. Tegan, guess what I'm doing tomorrow? Well,
1: since you weren't in California and didn't win Powerball, I don't know. That's really as far as you idea. know.
0: First of all, that's as far as you know, that's presumptuous, but factually correct. You know the reason I knew?
1: You showed up for this podcast.
0: Because <laughs> here I am. <laughs> I'm not celebrating my Powerball win. That's correct. I'll give you a hint. I've not done it in at least three years. And truthfully, it might be four or five years. And I cannot recall specifically the last time I did it. Don't say take a shower.
1: (laughs) It is summertime. We have some good weather forecast this weekend in New York. I think you are taking out the kayak on the Hudson River.
0: Oh, that is a great guess. It has been about three years since I did that. I did enjoy it. That is an excellent guess. It happens to be 180 degrees in the other direction because this is not an outdoor activity, but that is a great guess.
1: You're going to see the
0: Barbie movie. Going to the movie theater. At all. First time. I swear to you, I don't even remember the last movie I saw. And No, I'm sorry to disappoint you. We're not going to go see the Barbie movie. Although I got to say, have you seen the trailer? It is funny. The trailer trailer absolutely made me laugh. Going to go see Oppenheimer. Outstanding. But going to a movie theater, literally for the first time in three years, I could not even tell you the last movie that I saw.
1: Yeah. I went to see about a year ago, I saw Top Gun Maverick. (laughs) <laughs> that was the first time I'd been in a movie theater since 2019. Uh huh. So there you go. And oh, yeah. uh, I, 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 too, though, am going to be drawn back. I want to see Oppenheimer 2. I hope it's good.
0: That's on the agenda. I thought you were going to say maybe that was your first time in the movie theater since the first Top Gun, which I know you were <laughs> a big fan of. <laughs> I actually didn't see that one.
1: Going back to the movies, there is a sense with two big blockbusters coming this weekend that going to the movies is going to be a new thing. And it actually doesn't hurt that about a third of the country, it's 250 degrees.
0: Yeah, you know that it's not terrible in New York because you were guessing that I would be doing an outdoor activity. It does appear that in much of the country, outdoor activities are not something to do. But why don't we move from outdoor activities and movie activities to political activities? Let's talk about legal activities. There was a headline that you wrote this week, which I really liked. Getting indicted is apparently good for fundraising.
1: Well, it certainly seems to be for Donald Trump. I mean, it's kind of this amazing thing. There was an analysis done that I linked to on Political Wire. It essentially showed, you know, that his fundraising spiked not just a little bit, but dramatically every time Trump has legal issues. And the indictments themselves, because he's already been indicted two separate times, have just been these massive spikes. And uh, as all Political Wire readers and trial balloon listeners know, we are waiting on another indictment, it seems. It seems like special counsel Jack. Smith is on the verge of having a grand jury indict Trump for a third time.
0: Well, nothing's going to ensure that that occurs more than you and me recording this podcast feels inevitable. It'll occur sometime between this actual recording and when we post it Friday morning. But yes, that does seem to be the news that folks are waiting for. Getting indicted to advance one's political strength, I guess you could argue that is potentially a scalable solution, theoretically, <laughs> but it can't be a good solution, right? I mean, it strengthens you within your base, okay, maybe even, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, it strengthens you within the Republican Party. It is a scalable, potentially, but not sustainable strategy to rack up indictments, is it?
1: For winning a Republican primary, the indictments haven't really done much for Donald Trump's support, at least if you believe the polls. So that's the big caveat there. I will say with almost 100% certainty, it is not helping Donald Trump in the general election. That's for sure. Democrats and independents have been polled about this too, and they just want nothing to do with the guy. They don't want him anywhere near the White House. They don't even want him to run. So the idea that Trump still has a solid grip on Republicans... Is pretty remarkable. The fundraising is just part of that, but the polling shows it as well. And then we also saw this week that when Trump is in the news, as we've seen for years now, he just sucks up all oxygen. He, as I wrote this week, he blots out the sun. Ron DeSantis saw that this week when he tried to reboot his campaign. Actually, talking to a journalist who was not a Fox News reporter and uh, talked to Jake Tapper at CNN. Big interview promoted on Tuesday afternoon, 4 p.m. And what was the lead topic on that show as Jake Tapper took over? What does Ron DeSantis think about Trump being indicted potentially a third time? I mean, it was just amazing. There's nothing these other candidates can do to grab the attention back from Donald Trump. Doesn't matter. Good news, bad news, whatever it is, Trump takes the headlines.
0: The DeSantis-Tapper interview, there was this great anticipation around it. And I guess to your point, the sun was blotted out. It made no dent in my political reading and my political intake. Like, I mean, I saw that it had occurred and I saw a couple of things about it, but Ron DeSantis going on CNN... Politically speaking, that is a really big deal. And it says so much about potentially the state of DeSantis's campaign, which appears to not be so strong. He's been getting rid of people and talks that he's running a bad campaign, which doesn't help someone who's campaigning on the idea that he's a really great manager and gets things done, and here he can't run an effective campaign. But it just had no impact. So one, was that solely because Trump is blotting out the sun? Two, is it because DeSantis is just wilting before our eyes? And three, as well, in terms of the communication strategy, if you're Ron DeSantis and you're going on CNN, away from Fox, first time, all that buildup, why are you doing a taped interview that's going to air at four in the afternoon? Why don't you at least make it a live town hall event? If you're going to go strong, go strong.
1: When I heard that it was a taped interview, with Jake Tapper, the first thing that came to my mind was that CNN learned its lesson that they were not going to put one of these candidates on live because he's simply trying to grab headlines. And the expectation and the anticipation was that Jake Tapper is a tough interviewer and that somehow DeSantis is going to try to pick a fight with him so that he could get some oxygen or some some attention that way. Now, perhaps that happened, and CNN never aired any of that, but I think we would have probably heard about it if it did happen. That was my first thought, but once again, it seems that the DeSantis' campaign is extremely cautious about putting them out there, and so rather than putting them at the 9 o'clock hour, they put them at the 4 o'clock hour in case something goes wrong, and they end up getting absolutely nothing from it. It was a boring interview. You know, quite frankly, you're watching DeSantis right now. He's a boring candidate. He's not a very interesting candidate. The big problem that he has is the fact that he is relying on big donors for most of his money. I think 70% of his campaign contributions are from large donors. He has very few of these under $200 donors. Without those, it causes two problems. One is that when you need more money, you've kind of maxed out all the big guys already. So there's no more money they can give unless they start giving to your super PAC. But number two, it shows that your base of support out there is just not very deep. You know, if you can't raise a lot of money in small increments from a lot of different voters, it means there's a lot of different voters actually don't like you that much. And we've seen that around as some of these candidates try to qualify for the Republican debate in August all sorts of games that they're playing. Doug Burgum giving $20 gift cards for every dollar contribution he gets and things like this. I mean, all these games that they play, but at the end of the day, those are just games. And as DeSantis is finding, his support is just not very deep
0: there was a lot of good stuff there. And I got to confess, it took a lot of my energy to stay focused because you really almost lost me when you said that your first thought in that DeSantis CNN interview that it being taped was that CNN had learned its lesson. Come on now, (laughs) don't be ridiculous. Here's the line that I heard you talking about. DeSantis is just not that interesting, which by the way, he's not. Yet, as you say, he has all these large donors, He built up that piggy bank so early. That's one of the key performance indicators, one of the key measurements of whether a candidate is strong, how they're going to do, all that donor money that they got. But as you just pointed out, those were all the large donors. And historically, that was always thought to be the smart money. Oh, the large donors, if you can really just build up that large pool at the beginning, you then become inevitable. Well, you know who proved that getting a bunch of money early from large donors, if you are not an interesting candidate yourself, that it might not make that big of a difference, might not make you so inevitable? Who's that, Chris? Jeb. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's the Jeb playbook. Maybe he
1: should uh, get a
0: bumper sticker. Ron! Exclamation point! He's got to do something. I mean, I'm, he may not want to go. He may not want to go that far. But I think you really hit on something. It leaves me wondering: what is the attraction for large donors around not interesting candidates? It's almost like they're going large donors. Maybe they are small C conservative. Obviously, if they're donating to Republicans, they're big C conservative. But maybe they are a bit risk averse. And governor, large state, seems like a really good bet. They pile on. Money follows money. Maybe we're measuring the wrong thing. That shouldn't be as much what we're looking at in terms of trying to evaluate who might have potential early in a race.
1: The big donors, that's not the smart money. They're picking bad candidates. They do it every single cycle. It seems like they're doing it again this cycle. But, you know, it's just basic math. Would you rather have a thousand people max out to you? Or would you rather have 100,000 people give you 10 bucks? And those 100,000 people, you can hit them for 10 bucks, then 20 bucks, then 30 bucks. And you can just keep going back and back and back to them. And if they're excited about you to give, it's just a much better way to start a campaign than it is based on a thousand big donors. So that's DeSantis' problem. His other problem that we learned this week is he's been burning through his money at a rapid pace. They're already moving some of the people out of the campaign into the super PAC operation. There's all this pressure to potentially fire his campaign manager um, and to do a shakeup there. But the campaign is in trouble and polling is really not budged. And this was a bad week for DeSantis because Donald Trump stole the show one more time. Even if it was terrible news for any other political candidate, getting indicted or potentially getting indicted is just terrible news. For Donald Trump, it's just par for the course, and all of America is kind of numb by it.
0: It leads, of course, to the obvious question, which is if potentially the indictments or something else catches up to Trump, and if DeSantis is not in the running or is boring or isn't going to attract enough Republican support, who's next? If not Trump, then who? Mike Pence, how's he doing? Has he gotten on the uh, debate stage yet?
1: You know, he says soon, Chris, soon he'll get there, soon. <laughs>
0: yeah. Will he get there before August 23rd?
1: It is not clear that he will. So yeah, Mike Pence is about as exciting as he looks. Yeah. He does not have that wave of support. There is no pence you know, in this race.
0: What about Nikki Haley?
1: Nikki Haley, she has been running for president for five months now. When she entered the race, she started polling at about four and a half percent. Five months later, she's at 4.4% according to the polling averages. So Nikki Haley, she's still waiting. But, you know, she said in a quote when asked about this, she enjoys nobody thinking that she's going to make it because it makes her scrappy.
0: Well, so she's scrappy. Chris Christie, Asa Hutchinson, Doug Burgum, Sununu's not running. Who's next?
1: Asa Hutchinson gets booed at the evangelical conference because he has done the terrible thing of taking on Donald Trump, actually not even very harshly. Chris Christie has done the same thing as about one of the least popular candidates in the Republican field. The one that you didn't mention is, of course, Tim Scott. Uh, Ah,
0: yes. That was by design, my man.
1: I I know. I know it was. But Tim Scott is the one who, he's not the very exciting candidate there. Most people who know him think he's a good guy, think they like him. He's very affable, I guess. You know, he's kind of the anti-Trump candidate in the fact that he doesn't say outrageous things. He's not like Ron DeSantis, who's trying to out-Trump Trump. The other thing that Tim Scott has is he's got a lot of the big donor backers who are funding his super PAC, including one of the biggest donors, Larry Ellison. The CEO of Oracle, who is definitely backing Tim Scott and will continue to fund his campaign through that super PAC for a long time, which means that Tim Scott can stay in this race for a long time. But Tim Scott also has raised a lot of money from individuals, individuals who find him appealing. So, for whatever reason, you know, you put yourself out there and you run in these races and you see who likes you or who doesn't like you. And, you know, Mike Pence has not been successful, Nikki Haley's not been successful, Ron DeSantis has not been successful. But well, you look at Tim Scott and he's just creeping along creeping up the poles. I think his support has got him, depending upon what state and what polls, it looks like Tim Scott is kind of settling into a third place spot in most of these polls. And so we'll see. He's somebody to watch at least.
0: You linked today, Thursday, to an NBC News piece, Tim Scott to raise money across six states over the next month. And I I like the point that you just made that he's going out and he's trying to get small donors because obviously we talked about that other effect and with DeSantis in this NBC News piece states that South Carolina Senator Tim Scott's upcoming travel schedule will include an intense focus on campaign fundraising after Scott was off the trail for stretches of July due to a Senate schedule. Scott has had just six public campaign stops scheduled in July, all of them in Iowa and New Hampshire, where his campaign has also launched multimillion-dollar ad buys but even as public events remain minimal, things are about to get busier for Scott on the fundraising circuit. His upcoming schedule will take him to six different states over the next month as he huddles with donors in Colorado, California, Maine, New York, Tennessee, and Wisconsin. Now, in those locations, I am sure he is going to try to meet with big donors. Um, It's not like People don't want big donors; they surely do. But if we don't have Pence momentum, is that a little Scott momentum?
1: Well, it's, I think it's a little bit early to say. Let's see how that swings, how, how that works out. You know, as you said, he has been kind of tied down with his Senate duties, his Senate responsibilities. This is something that these other candidates, for the most part, don't have. Mike Pence, he doesn't really have a job. Chris Christie, he doesn't really have a job. Nikki Haley, no, no job there either. Ron DeSantis, I guess, should be back in Tallahassee doing his job, but he seems to be fighting for his campaign right now. But Tim Scott has been in Washington. He's been dealing with his responsibilities. We will see if August opens up for Tim Scott and if he is able to make these campaign trips that he's promised. There is some talk of the Senate recess being shortened or canceled because of the logjam of nominations and blockages that is happening in the Senate right now. And that is going to be one problem with Tim Scott's campaign generally is when the Senate is in action, you know, he has to be there for votes. And if he's not, it becomes a little embarrassing for him when he is on the
0: campaign trail.
1: But yeah, he's definitely somebody to watch.
0: Is it beneficial to him, and I'm not being facetious, to have not been out there so much over the last month? When
1: you look at the strategy of each of these candidates, he's clearly playing this strategy. He knows he's not going to beat Trump head on. You know, that's the Ron DeSantis strategy, which, by the way, if you've noticed, hasn't been working either. Tim Scott is really just trying to stay there and be the alternative candidate that people come to. If, in fact, Donald Trump's campaign ultimately implodes or, you know, perhaps Donald Trump just will be in court so often that he won't have enough time to actually campaign. Whatever it is, Tim Scott's kind of trying to be that alternative. Some people have said because of that that Tim Scott would potentially be Trump's running mate should Trump get the nomination again. And you want to know something? I'm sure Tim Scott has thought about that. So it's probably good strategy for him. And if he did become Trump's vice presidential candidate, you know that would certainly set him up well in 2028, regardless.
0: You know how you score points, Dagan? You got to take the shot. <laughs> got to take the shot. And if you don't take the shot, you got to hang out by the goal. That's how you can score. And Tim Scott's hanging out by the goal and I'm going to be hanging out in an air-conditioned movie theater for the first time in several years. So maybe if you can watch Oppenheimer, I'll watch it, and who knows, maybe we'll give a movie review at some point.
1: We'll do Trial Balloon Movie Club.
0: I can only imagine how popular that would be.
1: Anyway, let's first uh, brave ourselves and go back to the movie theaters, and let's see if we actually enjoy it. By the way, bring some extra cash, because I heard that popcorn's expensive.
0: See you at the movies, Tegan. Bye, Chris.